months, I have been trying the best that I can to begin to teach you biblical truths and doctrines found within the Word of God that will help you and I to become better hearers of God's Word when it's being preached so that we can understand what it is that God requires of us. We understand sometimes what God requires of the preacher, but what does he require of the congregant as you are listening and seeking to hear the Word of God that is being preached? And our desire is to become better listeners, better hearers of the Word of God. And so what I want to do since it's our last week is I want to give you a very quick review of what we've covered so far to this point. Be very quick. Uh, The first hearing aid, we call those doctrines hearing aids. Hearing aid number one was this, is that God speaks. Do you believe that? That we have a God who has spoken in many ways and in many times in the past. He has spoken most fully and most clearly through his son, Jesus Christ, but he continues to speak today through what church? Through his written word, right? Hearing aid number two was that God speaks through preaching, that God in his own sovereign will, he has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise, but also to convert the soul. He is using this crazy thing to use humankind to preach his word. And when he gets it right, when he rightly divides the word of truth with its original intent by the human and also divine author, then what we find is when I preach according to that meaning, then it is God himself who speaks on Sunday morning. Isn't that incredible? And we also saw hearing aid number three, that God speaks to transform. Uh, God doesn't just speak for us to just simply to be heard, but he speaks because it's necessary for us to be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. And the word of God has a major role in that. Uh, We could never come to faith in Jesus Christ apart from the truths that the word of God teaches us. We could never become more like him in the process of sanctification if we didn't have the whole counsel of the word of God, right? The word of God is sufficient for life and for godliness. And then we saw that uh, there's a second aspect of that, the fact that God speaks, and that is the role of the Spirit. The Word of God is wonderful, but if the Holy Spirit is not cultivating our hearts, using that Word and doing the work in us, and illuminating our minds to the understanding of the Word of God, guess what? We're sunk. It'll be nothing more than just kind of just mental assent to the knowledge. We'll never truly understand the essence and the significance of what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach through His Word. Then, beginning in week five, we we talked of hearing aid number five. We begin to look at our responsibilities. In light of everything that we've learned, and the fact that God speaks, and he speaks through his word, and he speaks when it's preached, and he speaks to transform, what is our responsibility? And we took some time each week unpacking that. First, we had a responsibility preparing for the preaching of God's word. That means before we ever come in here, the Bible teaches us that we have to make sure our hearts are right before God. That we have to spend some time, set it aside, confessing our sin to make sure that there is no sin that's, that's quenching the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can have his way in our life and teach us the truths and the wonders of the word of God. Now, how many of you have, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have done that. See, we could sit there and we could say, hey, this is great teaching and this is wonderful. But unless we begin to take these truths and actually begin to promise, uh, uh, implement them into our lives, we don't truly believe them. We don't truly believe them. We could say that we believe them, but really truth, as the word of God shows, really is demonstrated in action. And so we need to prepare. Next, we saw in hearing aid number six is that the receiving of the preaching of God's word, that we're not just supposed to show up and be passive listeners, right? We're supposed to show up and be a part of the preaching event. In other words, we are supposed to listen with great eagerness and desire about what's going to be said because we believe that God is going to speak, amen? But we have to also have to listen with discernment. 
Because me as a preacher, I'm fallen. God has saved me by grace. I'm fallen. I won't intentionally, but sometimes I get the text wrong. I might say something that's not directly connected to the word of God. It's, it's, it's good stuff rather than God's stuff. It's man's stuff rather than what God has revealed in his word. And you have to listen to that and filter everything that's being said by any preacher that, or teacher that teaches to you through the whole counsel of the word of God. And that takes a lot of work. Finally, last week, we saw hearing aid number seven, and that was responding to the preaching of God's word. Every time the word of God is preached, God demands a response. A lot of people will ask me sometimes, they'll say, Brother Mike, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? And I said, well, preaching is teaching with a response. It calls for a response. It doesn't just give you information. It calls you to act in faith in response to what it is that God has revealed to you. That's what preaching is all about. And so what we found is, is this is every week that we come, we either leave being obedient or disobedient. There's no in between. So we're either training ourselves when we come to the house of God, when the word of God is being preached, to be obedient to God and therefore being blessed of him. Or we, are coming, or we are coming and practicing disobedience by not doing what God has called us to do, and we find ourselves being in a state of discipline of God. One or the other, we can't have, it, we can't have both, or we can't have something in the middle. Well, this morning, we come to our eighth sermon, and we're already done with all of our hearing aids, so uh, I still want you to listen, though. Uh, instead of giving you a hearing aid and a theological truth, I just really want to ask you a question. And here's the question I posed for you this morning. How can we make sure that the truths that we have learned over the last seven weeks will have their full effect in our lives. In other words, how do we know that we just haven't wasted seven weeks of our, time, of our lives? That we haven't just heard seven weeks and then all of a sudden as, as Jimmy, Brother Jimmy begins to start this new series for us next week, that we've forgotten everything uh, that, that it was about. And we come back week after week, completely unchanged, not hearing, not listening, not preparing, not responding uh, everything that's been preached is just kind of moved to the side and it doesn't really have its full effect in us. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen? Well, that's hopefully what I'm going to try to help you with today. And we find that help in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 is going to reveal to us three ways that we can be sure that the teaching that we have received will have its full effect on our lives. To hear it and not change us, to not transform us, folks, is really wasting my time, wasting your time. Would you say that? But if, 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 if we, we need to get as much out of it as we possibly can and not move into next week, but allow the teaching that we've had to transform our lives for years to come. And so where we find ourselves is in Proverbs chapter 2. And let me give you a little background information. I'm only preaching the first five verses, but let me give you a little overview of the whole proverb. This, is a, a, this proverb tells of a young man who's struggling. He's struggling with some typical hardships of life. I mean, typical because pretty much all of us face these things. Uh, he's, he's, he's going through difficult financial times and he's struggling with relationship problems, all right? Has anybody ever struggled with either one of those, right? Probably all of us to some point, some of us right now, big time, both of those, all right, to some extent. So he's dealing with this problem, but what makes his problem more difficult is he's being tempted to take a shortcut in dealing with these difficulties. And when I say take a shortcut, he's being, he's being, he's being uh, led along long and tempted to sin in order to relieve himself of the difficulties that are in his life. For example, uh, what we find as we continue to read his financial problems, somebody suggests to him uh, that the way to rid uh, his financial problems is to join a gang. Join a gang. You don't have to work, worry about the financial problems, and you just beat people up, take their money. There you go. You don't have to worry about money anymore. 
Uh, then the other idea was this relationship problem. Somebody comes along and, and basically says, hey, listen, why don't you just go out and get a prostitute? That will just cure everything. You don't have to worry about anything. Your physical desires and fleshly desires will be met. You don't have to worry about the relationship ultimately. But we understand the dangers of this. Now, this particular, par- this particular um, proverb was written by a man who cares very much for this young man. And what he is trying to do is this, he begins in, in verse 1 and he says, my son. Now what that means is it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy that's writing this is the biological father of this guy who's in trouble. But what it means is he is in some kind of authoritative position. He's a mentor or he's a teacher or he could be a father, we're just not sure. But he has authority over this young man and by having authority, his job is to pour the wisdom and truth and the riches of God's wisdom into this young man. That's what his job is. Fathers, that's what our job is with our sons and our daughters, to pour the truth of God into them. Uh, Teachers, you're to pour the truth of God into those who are your students. Mentors, to pour God's truth into them. And this is what this man does. And he recognizes that his student uh, or, or son, whoever it is, is struggling. And so he's concerned for him because he doesn't want him to take the shortcut of sin to try to deal with the issues in life. Instead, what he does is he encourages him to to listen and to learn and to adopt those truths that he's been teaching him at this particular point and use the truths of God and the wisdom of God to be able to navigate through the hardships of life. But all this time, he's been teaching him all these things, been teaching him all these things. But he knows that these truths are never ultimately going to help him unless he does a few things unless he does a few things that will help him to take full effect in his life of what is happening here. So he tells him to do three things. He tells him to do three things. First of all, he tells him with all the truths that he's been teaching them, he tells them, first of all, you must possess them. You must possess it. Now notice, if you will, in verse one, he says, my son, he says, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Notice he uses the word if. He's going to use if several different times. And that word if begins a series of conditional clauses. Kind of if then. If you do this, then I'll do this. Kind of like with us with parents, bad parenting. If you clean your room, then you can see a movie, right? It should be clean your room. All right, that's what it should be. Uh, but we're weak. And so we say, clean your room, get a cookie, right? We try to beg them instead of teach. You, you understand we failed miserably. And so the idea is he says, listen, if you will do these things, then you're going to get something. And he tells him what he's going to get there in verse five, get this, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What he's saying is, what he's saying is, what you will do is all the things that I've been teaching you will finally become real to you and it will guide you and help you in your life. But there's some things that you're gonna have to do before that knowledge can help you. He says, first of all, he says, once again, he goes, you have to possess it. Now notice uh, the word receive here in that first verse, if you receive, literally means to take possession of. He's saying, listen, my teaching that is mine that I'm giving now to you, you've gotta take it. You've got to grab it. You've got to make it your own. Uh, Other translations translate that sentence this way, to put my words in your heart, to swallow the words that I give you. So he is to take the teachings that he has received, he's to make it his own, and he's to make his, his, his mentor's teachings, his convictions for the first time. Then notice what he says, not only receive, but he also tells him to treasure. He says to treasure up my commandments with you. The word treasure there means literally to store up or to hide something of value. I bet you if I went to y'all's home, 
today, uh, and if I was a robber, which I'm not, but if I were, that I would probably look in your drawers if I were to break in and in the closet and look for a safe or look for wherever it is, because I know that whatever is precious to you, you have hidden away. You don't just keep it at the front door or on the, on the front porch. Why? Because you know that it can be taken away from you. You know it could be lost. You know your children could get it and possibly break it, right? Or lose it. So you put it away in a safe place. He says, listen, the teachings that I've given you, you have to learn to treasure them. They have to be your convictions and they ultimately, you have to receive them in such a way that they, you begin to treasure them. Here's his point. His point is the teacher is letting him know that the things that he's been teaching him all this time, pouring all this time into him, all these biblical truths are his convictions, the teacher's convictions. They're the convictions based on the clear teaching of the word of God. And he, as a teacher, has come to love them and to cherish these teachings. That's why, that's why he's given those to his son that he loves so much or to this young man that he loves so much. But what he's saying is simply this. He is saying, but it has to be more. It can no longer, these truths can no longer simply be my convictions. They can no longer simply be my treasures. He said they, these teachings must be his convictions and must come to treasure them for himself. Do you see that? Do you see that? See, that's how we're trying to raise our children. Do you understand we don't try to raise our, our children uh, to be rule followers? You guys got that? That's not great parenting either, is it? In other words, you sit there and go, here's the rules, buddy. And for the rest of your life, all you try to do is say, you step out of line, I'm going to do this. Now, and when they're young, you have to give them. You have to show them what the parameters are. And those parameters are based on what, church? The Word of God. And so what we do is we give them the parameters. But as they mature, what we do is we begin to eliminate some of those particular rules. Why? Because we don't want them just following rules. We want the truths that we've been sharing with them to become a heartfelt conviction inside of them. You say, why is that so ultimately important? It's important because of this. Rules are broken, but convictions and love rarely ever are. In other words, let me say it this way. If, if your kid is a, a rule follower, you tell them to don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, or else I'm going to huh on you, which can be partially good parenting. But if that's all they get out of that, when they are removed from your presence, hence go to college, guess what? They are now removed from the judgment and the wrath of mommy and daddy, and they will either bend or skirt around the rules knowing that they're not going to have to pay the consequences of it. You get that? But if you and I pray for our children, show them what the word of God says, give them laws, but pray and teach in such a way and, and rely on God that these become their convictions and not just mommy and daddy's convictions, then guess what? When they go off, they don't do those things, not because mommy and daddy said, but because it's a true conviction inside of their heart. And we rarely ever break a conviction or the love that we have for God. I think one of the classic examples of this is, is really in, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was taken away from his parents. Do you remember this? He was taken into captivity, into Babylon. And there he was led, and those Jewish boys were led to live where? To live up in, in, into the king's palace. And they had, as Jewish people, they had very particular laws, dietary laws, things that they were not supposed to eat. God was demonstrating to them what it meant to be clean before a holy God, and for them to be separate from those pagan nations. So when he goes into there, he knows very well what the rules were. All the young men know the rules that their parents had taught them. But when they get in, the king demands that they eat of the king's food, of the king's meat. So he's at an impasse now. If he eats it, guess what? He could pollute himself. Now, many of the other young men, Jewish boys, they did. They begin to eat of the king's food. And guess what? They were rule followers. 
That's what it was. Mommy and daddy aren't here anymore. I'm not going to get in trouble. It doesn't serve me anymore to follow the rules. Now it's better for me not to follow the rules. Therefore, it's no big deal. I'll just kind of push them to the side. But Daniel and several other young men, they said, we will not eat the king's food. Why? Because he was following the rules? No. Because the truths that his parents had taught him that were based on the word of God were now their convictions and they weren't going to break that conviction because it was their conviction and their love for God that was going to ultimately keep them pure. So, and folks, what I wanna share with you is, is this, is it's the same exact truth that we see with the principles that we've been teaching. For me being your teacher over the last seven weeks, do you know what I've been trying to do? <laughs> Somebody says, good question. <laughs> what I've been trying to do is just merely share from the word of God the convictions that God has already placed in my heart. I think many preachers today, as I talk with them, they get so frustrated, especially young preachers just starting out, and I was the same way. Sometimes they get frustrated because here they are preaching certain truths and, and preaching in a certain way, and all of a sudden the people just kind of aren't getting it. And what I've realized is the problem is the reason I preach the way that I do the, re the, the reason that we go kind of verse by verse, the reason that we ultimately make sure that the majority of our time here is spent on unpacking and applying the word of God as accurately and as carefully as we can is because based on what the word of God is, that's what your pastor's conviction is. It's not to grow a congregation. Do you know why? Because it doesn't work. If I was going to try to grow and accumulate people, do you think I would preach like this? I mean, really? I mean, you know, even the re regenerate people are sitting there wondering if this is right, right? And so people are sitting there. It's not to be able to grow. If you want to grow, you know what you do? You look hip, you talk cool. What's up, man? What's up, my homies? Get down. Hey, yeah, let me give you some advice about your wallet. I got some coupons, how you can save some money and everything. And then, you know, God tells us to be a good steward. All right, go out and get jiggy with it. And then everybody goes out and everybody leaves. And this is what they do. Wow, finally, somebody who speaks my language. Your, your, your pastor, not trying to draw attention, I just, I'm trying to make a point. Your pastor doesn't preach that way. One, because he can't and he looks stupid doing it. But, but two, the reason that we're just giving you the raw, clear teaching of the word is because I believe that God speaks. I believe he has communicated his will and his desire and who he is through the word of God and that he is sovereignly chosen the foolishness of preaching to transform you. That is my conviction. That is my love. I treasure that. But here's what you have to understand. And this is what I've learned. If it's not your conviction, it does no good. It does no good. What happens is we leave here and our worship service is all the same. There's no great expectation. There's no excitement. There's no holding back on God is about to speak. There's no preparation. There's no listening intently. There's none of those things. Why? Because it's only the pastor's, it's only the, ultimately the pastor's conviction and his love. It's not the listener's. Only when it becomes your conviction. Only when you begin to not only get it here, but get it here and sit there and go, I believe this. Brother Mike, I don't just believe this. I believe this. I believe that when I come into the house of God and it's rightly divided, I believe in my very soul, in my very being, in the very marrow of myself. I believe that God himself is going to speak just as if he were to step out of heaven physically and audibly speak right into my face. That's my conviction about what the preaching of the word is. That happens 
this preaching event will forever be changed. Are you with me? But if you don't have that conviction, things are going to just move on. We'll go to the next series and you'll never be truly transformed. Now, the first thing he says to do is to, to possess it. The second thing he tells this young man to do with the truth in which he's been teaching is to discipline yourself. He says, discipline yourself. Now, notice number, uh, verse 2. He says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining. In other words, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and if you are inclining your heart to understanding, then what's going to happen? then you're going to have the full effect of my teaching on you in full transformation. Now, let's look at verse 2 again. He says, making your ear. That, that, that phrase literally means to discipline yourself to listen. He goes, your job when we're speaking is for you to discipline yourself, to sit there, to work at it, to work to listen. To, to, when you start dozing off, to, to, to call yourself back, make it a discipline to hear what he is saying. Secondly, he says here, he says, to inclining your heart. Now, that means what? To try, to, to try hard to understand. One of the things that I find with many people in the church, and it's always surprising to me, is later on, uh, people will say, you know, hey, you know, I, I love you, and, you know, we're okay, we'll visit with them. And I say, man, you came for four weeks, and then you just kind of left. What happened? And they'll sit there and go, man, uh, I just don't understand a cotton-picking word that's coming out of your mouth. I just don't get it. I was completely lost the whole time. And I sat there and I thought to myself, man, I wonder how many people just genuinely feel that way on a Sunday. Well, guess what he says? He says, listen, you have to work at understanding. You have to work. I have to work at understanding to understand it to explain you. And, and the things of God are not simple always. They're hard. They have to be discerned spiritually. You have to work through these things, way through these things. You can't be a passive listener where you're like, just give it to me. And if he doesn't give it to me and he doesn't give it to me the right way, then I'm off the hook. He says, no, you need to be at hard work. Both of these ideas, making your ear and inclining your ear, both convey the idea of hard work. It says, if we have learned any, listen, if we have learned anything through this series, anything at all, what you should, one thing that you should have picked up on is hearing is hard work. I had, I've been talking to some folks about the series and they're like, man, this series has really been a blessing to me. But I got to tell you, first of all, I didn't know that the Bible said so much about hearing because I had no clue it had so much to say about it. And he goes, and secondly, I had no idea how hard work it was, right? Now, why is that? Because most of us have never been trained. Most of us come and we're passive listeners. We come to the house of God and it's kind of like, okay, buddy, all this depends on you, all right? Give me something I can understand, make it funny so I don't fall asleep, and, and then apply it to my individual position in life. Wrong. I do those things, but you have an equal responsibility to do what? to work hard at understanding it properly, making sure it's a part of God's word, to prepare for the event in and of itself when you come into the house of God, for you to be able to sit at the very end of the congregation or at the end of the service and say, how does this now apply to me? What is God calling me to do? And you know what the ultimate line is? That's very hard to do. And I'm about to say something that's going to really hurt your feelings. And I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I love you. I just don't know any other way to say it. The reason why this particular series that we've preached over the last two months is going to have very little full effect in your life in transforming you is simply because you're lazy. I've I've looked in my thesaurus to find a a nicer word than lazy. And I... Apathetic pathetic. I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't, I'm, uh, there's got to be snoozing. I, 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 I don't mean to hurt you, 
But let me explain this. You sit there and go, I'm not lazy. Well, in some ways, you're certainly not lazy. Man, we've got some of the hardest working folks anywhere, in any church I've ever served right here at Celebration. It amazes me. It amazes me to see how people work. And even in your jobs, man, you work so hard. You're the first one in, you're the last one out. You are really a great character and a great picture of what God, uh, godly people do when they go to the workplace. That's awesome. You know what? Some of you guys are tremendous workers in your yards. I know. I go out. You guys are always in your yard. It's, it's amazing. I'm so glad that my yard is like 10 square yards. That's it. Uh, because when I drive by, I mean, you guys are hedging. You know, you guys are edging. You guys are clipping planting different kinds of flowers, depending on what kind of year it is. You know, and just by looking at what you do, I know that you're a hard worker. You come by my house, you're going to go like, what a lazy individual. He's lucky if he gets it cut, right? I mean, you know, I, I, for, um, my brother helped me, um, Danny, to kind of put all those plants in for me. And he knew, I've got to put plants you don't have to do anything with. He knew, Danny, did you know that? Yes, my preacher's not going to do this. It's going to be bad. So you can see that with lazy. So you're not lazy in so many different ways, except for in one way. And the issues that pertain to your relationship with God. And what is so unbelievably sad about our laziness and our lack of discipline and apathy is that God has given us everything we need to hear from him and to be transformed. He's given everything to you. He's given you ears to hear. He's given you eyes and a mind to read and to understand. He's given you the full counsel of the word of God right here. He, 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 he actually took 1,500 years with 40 different authors, and he was able to put it all together, his full revelation of God that he wants you and me to know, which is significant for salvation and also for sanctification and purity. He's given it to us all. But you know what else he's given? He's given you a preacher. He's given you a means by which the word of God would be proclaimed. He's given you a preacher that takes the word of God seriously, proclaiming it each week as carefully as he possibly can. And you know what else he's given you? The, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that came and now lives in you. And when the word of God is being preached, he illuminates that truth to you and gives you an understanding in the true significance of what God meant by what the text is ultimately saying. He's given it all but yet what's amazing is so few Christians in the church today are really growing, are really seeing that much significant transformation in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're lazy. We're so lazy that when we say, hey, have you prepared yourself for the house of God? You're sitting there going, no way, I'm not going to do that. That takes time and energy. I'm just not going to do that. Do you understand that you have to take notes and you have to look and make sure that what's being said is directly for the word of God? I just, I just don't feel like doing that. Do you understand at the end of the service that now you are, you are accountable for the word of God and you've got to apply it to your life and live it out for the next of the week? Well, I just don't know if I want to do that. But yet God's given us everything. It's kind of like, it's kind of like having a house full of gym equipment Every gym equipment known to man, and if I'm talking about you, just ignore this, uh, gym equipment to man, because I've been there, and you're 50 pounds overweight and you're eating bonbons. Y you with me? I, what, what I mean is, uh, and I'm not, I'm not getting on to, to anybody about that, just follow the illustration. Everything is provided there. I just don't have the discipline to put down the bonbons. I just don't have the discipline to get up 
and actually use all that that is around me. And it is so sad to me that believers in Jesus Christ have been entrusted with everything that they possibly need, but just their sheer laziness and apathy is really keeping them from being the people that God ultimately wants to transform them into. It's just laziness and apathy. So why discipline? Why is discipline so incredibly important? Well, because though the wisdom of God is abundant, it's not easily accessible. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It's hard to get it. It's hard to grasp it. It's hard to find it. You say, what do you mean? God gives us an abundance. Notice, if you will, in verse four, he says, if you seek it like silver, talking about the wisdom of God, and search for it as the hidden treasures. Now notice, seek into search. Seek into search here are specifically um, talking about uh, this idea of, convey the idea of going after something of great value that is covered up in the ground. He's talking about how we have to work. Did you know in order to know the truths of God, it takes hard work? You have to seek after it. You have to notice just like silver, gold, just like hidden treasure. Did you notice that hidden treasures, not just up laying on top of the street or else it wouldn't be hidden, right? Wouldn't be hidden treasure, just be treasure. And same thing with silver and gold. Those things which are precious are dug into the ground. The person has to work, discipline themselves to get at it. But why do they do it? They understand the value of it. They understand the preciousness of it. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 19 when he begins to speak of the word and he says that, man, it's more precious than gold. It's more valuable than gold. He says it's sweeter than honey and even the honeycomb. When the psalmist wrote those words, he wasn't just trying to find, you know, good words for a neat, catchy song. He meant that. He meant that. He meant that the word of God to him was more precious than gold and sweeter and more tasteful than honey. That's what he meant. That's what he poured out. That was his conviction. And everything. But you see, this is what we have to do. We have to know that it's precious. Why? Because only the word of God can convert. Only the word of God can change you. Only the word of God can heal your marriage. Only the word of God can change you from the inside out. Only the word of God can do that. When that's at the conviction, it becomes precious. But here's the deal. You and I have to discipline ourselves to get at it. We have to listen intently. We have to apply it very carefully. We have to do all of these things. And you sit there and go, still. And I know what you're, what you're feeling. You're sitting there going, Mike, but that's how you feel, man. I'm just not feeling it. You know what I'm talking about? I, I just don't feel like it's that valuable. I, I, just don't, I just don't see it as sweet as honey. I, don't, I just don't see it as you ultimately do. I get that because I don't do it as much as I should either. But notice this. Understand what the key is. You say, what, what do I need to do? Simply this. You and I need to grow up. You have to grow up. Didn't you have this conversation once with your child? Didn't you? Look, at one point, you got to grow up. You're 21. You still sleep on the top bunk of your bunk beds, and you still have Star Wars sheets. I'm sorry, Dan. Is Dan in here? You still have all of these things. You just need to grow up. You've got everything you need. Get up and grow up and do, get out and get a job. Do what you've got to do. But do you know what the distinction between a child and an adult is? A child does according to what he feels. That's what a child does. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like cleaning up my room. I don't feel like going to bed, right? I don't feel like eating, right? To each answer, tough, right? Tough, 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 tough. Go do it, right? Now, I want to let you know this. My job at the house, some of my jobs include cleaning the bathrooms 
and cleaning the kitchen. I wash the dishes each week, kind of do that kind of wiping down thing. My wife kind of gets me into it. She goes, oh, you're so much better at it than me. I'm like, <laughs> I see right through that. <laughs> but here's the deal. Can I just tell you, I wish that I was just like skipping to go and do it. Oh, this is going to be so good. I can't wait to get the goo and the junk off the floor, and I can't just wait to wipe it down. This is going to be awesome. Now, every time I do it, I just sit there and go, why do I have this job? And you go and you begin to wipe it down, but the reason that you do it is because the bathroom's in the, in, in the kitchen, not at the same time, but you begin to clean those things, and, and what you do is, the reason you do it is because as an adult, you understand if you don't, there's some serious consequences. I'll get sick. My child doesn't think on that way. But I do it, Why? An adult cleans not because he feels like it, but because he knows it is right. You and I have to come to the point where we begin to discipline ourselves and begin to listen, listen intently, prepare for the preaching event, respond correctly, become students of the word, read the word, follow the word, seek understanding, work hard at it, simply to discipline yourself to be able to do it. And you sit there and go, well, Brother Mike, once again, I just, I just don't feel like it. And that's where, faith comes, that's where faith comes in. If you know what I'm saying, what I've said over the last seven weeks, if you know it to be true, if you know it intellectually to be true, and you sit there, I know it's true, but I don't feel that way, this is where you're going to have to step out in faith and say, I may not feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it because I know what is right. Because my God has called me to it. My God has shared it to me. I'm going to step out even if I don't feel it. You're acting like an immature child if you just keep going and say, I don't feel like it. It's not a good enough excuse. When you stand before a holy God, and I stand before a holy God to give an account for what he has given and said, I've given you all of these things, given you all ability to know me through the truth of my word, for you to sit back and say, simply sit there and say, I'm sorry I was lazy is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You have to place your faith in Jesus, step out in faith and do what he calls you to do. There's a final thing that we see in the word of God. That is finally what? Depend on him. Depend on him. Now, notice what the word of God says here in verse four. He says, if you seek, no, sorry, in verse three, it says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Both the words, the, the word call out means to beg, to plead, or to ask for help. That phrase to raise out your voice means to beg as loud as you can to receive something unto yourself. This reminds me, this reminds us of our total dependence upon God. Here's what it's ultimately saying. It's ultimately saying this truth. Listen to me very carefully. What it's saying is, you can discipline yourself all you want. You can work hard every single week, coming in, tearing at the word, understanding it, trying to understand it, buying commentaries, being in small groups. You could sit there and try to make it a conviction to yourself. You could try to sit there and go, hey, as for me and my house, we're gonna do this. But apart from God himself helping you, illuminating the truth, and giving you the strength to follow in obedience, it's all for nothing. If we're gonna do this as individuals, and please listen to this as a congregation as a whole. See, I'm not looking for just individual response. I'm looking for a congregation that comes in, sits there and goes, give us the book. Give us the word. We're ready. We're prepared. We're ready to respond. Just tell us what it is that God is. But don't try to slip a little Mickey in there with us because we'll find you out, buddy. We're excited to listen. You give us the word. We're going to eat it. We're going to respond. Can you imagine the anticipation of this place? Can you imagine? Would there be a sense of deadness in here? No, there would be a, 
we're ready. We're ready. But it'll never happen unless you begin to rely on Jesus. So here's what I would say. Here's a way to rely on him. Here it is. Depend on him. First of all, pray to God to give you conviction and love for his instructions. Because I know that. And you right now, you're just sitting there going, man, I don't have that conviction like you do. I don't have that love. How did you end up getting more of it? I need much more of it. But how do you, how do you get some of that? I asked. I asked. Jesus, let this be my, let your word be my conviction that I ground my life in. I'm still not far enough along the path, but God continually asked for that. You need to ask for that this morning. Say, I've never really desired the word of God, never really loved it the way that I should. Then ask for it, seek it. Secondly, pray to God to help you to discipline yourself to hear. Some of you guys just have to grow up. You've been a Christian way too long to still be speaking baby talk when it comes to the Bible. I, that's harsh, but it's true. Do you understand a hundred years ago when people, a hundred years ago, when a child got done with school at 16 years old, that he had an equivalent of a full master's seminary degree of pastors? I understood the word of God like that. Don't tell me that you're not capable. We're just lazy. So repent of that, but then to sit there and go, God, I'm going to step out in faith. I don't feel it. I'm going to step out in faith, but would you give me the power and the strength and the know-how to go about doing this? Here's a third thing to ask. Pray that he will illuminate your understanding to his truths. If you're sitting around each week and you're like, man, I just don't understand this, pray to him. Say, God, give me the understanding. I'll work at it. And here's what you need to understand. If you don't work at it, if you don't work at it, he usually doesn't give it to you because it's gold and it's silver, and it's hidden treasure. You have to seek it. You have to dig at it. Now, here's what I would ultimately say with this. There's one last thing, and that is even though at this particular point we talked about illumination, I just want to let you know because it's heavy on my heart this morning. The only real way for you to understand what happens each and every week in here is for you to be saved. You say, what does that mean? What that means is simply this, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every man, woman, and child has been born a sinner, has been born underneath the curse of sin. That means we sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. It means that it comes naturally to us. Naturally, the way that we're born, as beautiful as our little babies are, they are born completely and totally depraved. We love them, but they could not be more saturated with sin, and their lives are doomed and damned to hell. Do you understand that? From, from square one. So the idea is this. Now, don't get in all the babies go to hell. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about, the position in which they're in, that we are on a path to destruction, that because of our sin, that what God is doing is he is storing up for us a day of wrath, one day of a judgment. We are once to die and then the judgment, okay? We'll meet God and that wrath of God will pour on. But because of God's love, because of God's great love, because of God's great mercy. He said, I love you so much. I want to choose you for salvation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my only son to die to take the beating for you so that you won't have to die eternally. I will do this. But here's the deal. Because of that, when the Holy Spirit begins to draw you, begins to illuminate your heart and begins to pull you through until you're saved, you'll never understand the things of God, no matter how hard you try, unless you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit present inside of you. So you know what needs to happen? First of all, some need to get saved. And there's a whole lot of the rest of us, like I did this week, need to repent. We need to repent because we're just lazy. 
We need to ask God and call out to God and say, God, I need this truth to be the conviction of my heart. If it's not, I'll find a way to get around it and a way to break it. You guys with me? God, would you help me? God, would you help me? Dear Jesus, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray that you will move in this place. God, the gospel has been preached. The truth of your word has been preached. Will we respond now? We either now leave not doing business with you and we heap judgment and discipline on ourselves or we put into practice and we receive the blessings of God. Will we be faithful to respond? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you?